Good evening, everybody. It's nice to see your faces. I hope you can see me a little clearer than I can see you this evening with all these lights the way they are. Let me just pray, and then we'll get straight into this. Father God, we thank and praise you for the carols that we've been singing, for the readings that we've heard, and for the truth of Jesus we get to speak about. So, Father, please, would you open our ears to hear from you this evening, in Jesus' name. Amen. I think there are two cardinal rules in gift giving at Christmas. You may not agree with me, but these are the two that I tend to go by. One is that you don't tell the people that you're buying the gift for what you're going to give them. Okay, the idea is that on Christmas Day, it's a surprise. They've got no idea it's coming. No matter how much my children nag me and beg me to tell them weeks and weeks and weeks in advance, I don't tell them. I never tell them. I will not break. Because ultimately, I know that if I tell them in advance, it will end in tears. It's guaranteed to happen. There will be disappointment. And it won't stop the nagging anyway. So it's important to keep it a secret. But here, in this passage, in Isaiah chapter 9, we hear that 750 years in advance of the gift, God declares what the gift will be. For to us, a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So God announces it well in advance. No surprise here. Jesus is the Savior to come. But the second rule that I tend to try and live by is to to make sure you buy a gift that people want. I, when my children open their gift on, Sunday, on, on Christmas morning, I want to see the joy in their face of saying, this is what I actually wanted. And when Jesus came in the first century, he was a wanted gift. The people of Israel at the time hadn't heard from, the, from, from God for 400 years. No prophet had spoken. Things were silent. They were lost and confused. God's people in Israel were under the boot of Rome, oppressed and crushed, weak and broken, poor, crushed. They felt the oppression of godless religion. They wondered if God was truly with them anymore. They had no hope of rescue on the horizon, no great forces in the distance that could come to their aid. If God didn't step in, there was no hope for Israel. So when this news came, when in the first century, I can imagine that the, the hearers of this who were remembering this would be hearing it with great joy. But that's probably not how most of us are hearing this message this evening. It's probably not the gift that we're hoping to receive on Christmas Day, the message of Jesus. And in fact, that places us much more in the hearing of the people that Isaiah originally spoke to. Because 750 years before the birth of Christ, Israel did not want to hear this message. Isaiah was sent to, to, to the people of Israel by God, not God, while God knows that they're not going to listen. You see, the people of Israel, for this, in this period of history, were doing quite well. Their GDP was up. The, the things were going quite well in their lives. Everything seemed to be, all the troubles seemed to be a distant past, and everything looked like it might go rosy in the future. And the people of Israel lived as if God didn't exist. Yes, they still had the the temple that they kept nice and clean. Yes, they went to church whenever they could. Yes, they ticked the Christian box on the census every 10 years. 
But in reality, they lived as if God didn't exist. They didn't listen to his ways or his warnings. And the result is, they were truly in darkness. They were really in darkness. You see, the people in the first century who who felt darkness were not really in as dangerous a position as Israel was 750 years prior. Because it's more dangerous to be lost in the dark and not to know you're there. And that's the position that Israel was in. And if we're honest, that's more like the position that most of us are in today. We live as if God doesn't exist. For Israel, God had protected them, loved them, cared for them, rescued them from Egypt, watched over the nation, saw it grow. God was their protector. Yet they still chose to ignore him and live as if he didn't exist. And for us, God gives us breath. He gives us food. He gives us home. He gives us prosperity. He gives us minds to think about him, to reason. And yet we still live as if God doesn't exist, as if he doesn't matter. And the great warning to Israel was found in in chapter 8 of of Isaiah. We didn't read it, but let me just read a couple of things that God said to Israel this time. It says in 8.17 that God is hiding his face from the descendants of Israel. You see, they were living as if God didn't exist, and he was going to show them what life would be like if he doesn't. And later, at the end of the chapter, we hear these words. They will look towards the earth and see only distress and the darkness and fear and gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. That was what Israel had to look forward to. And that's why they ended up in such a terrible state. But why did Israel listen? So why were they ready for Jesus in the first century, why were so many people waiting for his return, yet in Israel nobody was at 750 BC? I think the answer is that we hear most clearly when we know we're in the dark. C.S. Lewis, um, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and a great theologian, wrote these words, we can ignore God even in pleasure, but in pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks to our consciences, but shouts to us in our pains. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And maybe the reason we struggle to listen to God is that our lives just are not difficult enough. And if you are going through a dark time at the moment, then in fact, you know you need God's help. You know if he doesn't step in, then there's no hope for you. Then you are in fact in a very good position this evening. But if you're here this evening and you just think, well, all this stuff about Jesus is really nice, but I don't need him, then the Bible's warning to you is actually you are in the most dangerous position you could be in. You are walking in darkness and you do not know it. And God is calling to you from his word this evening. What does God do to a people that won't listen to him? What does God do when people choose to reject him? Well, we're told that he sends a great light. Great word at the beginning of chapter 9. Nevertheless, nevertheless, God sees the darkness that people are walking in, but nevertheless, he sends a great 
light in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. But not just any light. The light of the Son of God. And unless you've been living under a rock for the past 2,000 years or not paying attention to the readings this evening, it won't be a surprise to you that the, 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 the gift that God has given to people is His Son, Jesus Christ. The Son of God. The Divine One. Not just a man, but fully God and fully man. God has given us His precious Son, As John put it in John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his own son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, why would Jesus be such a great hope? Well, the four names that he's given in this passage help us to see why Jesus is the hope we need not just at Christmas, for all our lives. Now, the names that he's given here are not the names that his mother would have called him, but these are the names that people who witnessed the life of Jesus would have said about him. So we're told, in verse 6, that Jesus was the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor. And as this baby grew, we're told in the Gospel of Luke that he grew strong and was filled with wisdom. The grace of God was upon him. And indeed, it was. Crowds flocked to hear Jesus speak with great teaching from God. Crowds of thousands of people. His wise and persuasive words gave hope to all who listened. And his words are still shining light today. I mean, I would say that this year has been a pretty dark one in, the, in, in my family's life. But God's words, Jesus' words, have been a great encouragement to me. And, and you're, you're joining us in a church this evening where we have around 400 people that gather here on a Sunday morning, week after week after week, who can testify to the fact that the words of Jesus are filled with wisdom for a confused world. And, and week after week, we gather around his word to hear from the author of life himself. And he grants us wisdom. And philosophers and sages and theologians and pastors and Bible teachers have been poring over Jesus' words for 2,000 years. And you know what? They never run dry. Jesus was the wonderful counselor. Anyone who's ever sat to listen humbly to the words of Jesus will never find his words wanting. He is the wonderful counselor. Jesus' words are filled with wisdom for a confused world. But Jesus wasn't just the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. That's a bold thing to say about a person, isn't it? Mighty God. But that's exactly what the people who followed Jesus for three years came to the conclusion about him. I mean, these guys saw Jesus perform miracles over and over again. But there's one miracle that stands out in my mind this evening. And that's that when these hardened fishermen that Jesus called were in the boat with him in the middle of a great storm, they thought they were going to die. They were terrified. And they cry out to Jesus. And Jesus stands up and he says to the storm, peace, be still. The storm stops. And they thought they were scared before, but now they're utterly terrified. 
because one scarier than the storm is in the boat with them. And they say this word. They say this. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And it gets their mind to thinking and they see Jesus perform miracle after miracle. They see him die on a cross and they see him come back to life again. And and Jesus walks with them and eats with them after his death and resurrection. And at the end of the Gospel of John, the disciples cry out, My Lord and my God. What would it take for me to persuade you that I was God this evening? I guess it would take an awful lot. And you know what? I'm not. But Jesus, the people who were closest to him, the people that spent their lives with him, saw and believed that he was the mighty God come in the flesh to reach a lost world. So Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. But we also see these words, the everlasting father. The love of the Father revealed through the Son. In John chapter 14, one of the closest disciples said to Phil, uh, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. That would be enough for us. Reveal the Father to us. And Jesus' words to him, well, Jesus answered this, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after all this, even after I've been among you for such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says, saying, look, when you see me, you see what the Father's like. I am the representation on this world of who God is. I am God come in the flesh. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder about the nature of God anymore. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Father. Jesus brings the love of the Father to a hurting world. So he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and he is the Prince of Peace. Jesus brought peace to this world. In in a number of ways, one that's most important of all, but but one you can see in the lives of his disciples. You know, he gathered the, the, the disciples to him and he picked out the 12 apostles. Now, amongst those apostles, there was a real mix of people. You see, Jesus gathered to himself um, hard-nosed fishermen. He gathered to himself anti-Roman terrorists. And along with them in that group, there were also Roman collaborators, tax collectors. Can you imagine these guys being friends, hanging out together, chilling out and relaxing, having nice conversations in the evening? No. Everything in the world says these guys should hate each other. They should fight each other. They should kill each other. But no, because they came with Jesus, to Jesus, these disciples, these apostles, became the greatest of friends who would fight the good fight of faith their entire lives to the point of dying brutal deaths because they saw that Jesus was the mighty God and the everlasting Father. Jesus brought a band of people who shouldn't have been friends to become friends. And that's what I see in church every Sunday, people who should not be friends. People who should not be hanging out with each other, willfully spending time together on Sunday morning, but also throughout the week. Why? Because they've been brought into the family of God through Jesus, and they're experiencing that peace. 
You know, that, that is an amazing piece, and we shouldn't take it for granted. True unity in this world is found in Jesus. But there is a greater peace that Jesus gives as well. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You see, Jesus has a peace to offer that is only his to give, the peace that he knows naturally that we don't know without Jesus. And that is friendship with God. As I said earlier on, we live as if God doesn't exist. And the result of that is we can spend eternity in darkness away from him. But Jesus, who dwelled in the presence of the Father for all eternity, comes, stoops to a manger, dies on a cross, so that the enemies of God can become his friends. So that those who are far away, enemies with the Father, can be at peace with him and know a peace that will last forever. This is the peace that Jesus brings to all who will come to him. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the everlasting Father. And Jesus is praise his name, the Prince of Peace. I want, you, I want a bit of a thought experiment for you now. If you're feeling brave, could you close your eyes just for a moment? If you're not feeling brave, you can keep them open and just use your imagination going. Have you ever been in utter darkness, in a place that you don't know, maybe stuck out in a forest somewhere or in a room or a house, and the lights have gone off, and you don't know how to get to the light switch? And you just feel the darkness. Have you felt that before? The darkness where it just overpowers you. And you might be able to see a few shapes around the room, little things that, that can stand out. But all of a sudden, they're not coat racks or hangers. They're boogeymen. They're robbers. And fear starts to grip you. And your heart starts to pound. And the fight and flight mode kicks in. And you can't hear anything except the beating of your own heart. And it's terrifying. You want the lights to come back on at any moment. And then blip. A light comes on. And all of a sudden you can see. And the relief you feel. The rescue you feel. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. You see, the, the, the feeling you would feel if you were lost in utter darkness and a light comes on, that feeling, that's how we're supposed to feel when we hear of Jesus. It's the po- we're supposed to see this great light. and He is supposed to be our rescue, our hope, our joy. The one sent by God to be all these things for us and far more, far more. Until you see Jesus in this way, you do not understand the joy of the Christmas message. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who brings wisdom to a confused world. Jesus is the mighty God who fights for, the, for all those who are weak that trust in him. Jesus is the everlasting father who brings God's love to a clo- close to a rebellious world. Jesus is the prince of peace so that all who come to him will find peace with God that truly lasts forever. Do you doubt this? 
then why don't you read through the Gospels of Jesus, the historical accounts of his life, and see that all these things about Jesus are absolutely true. The best thing you can do this Christmas is to before him lowly bend. Will you do that? Will you come to Jesus? Will he be your light this Christmas time? Thank you.